Off the Ball with BetDuck.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports 24-7. Every season, every sport, every team. All right, Ireland-England at Twickenham is suddenly a massive game for both sides. If England win, of course, they've got a great chance of a Grand Slam or at least a championship. If Ireland lose, their season is, well, a serious regression. Joining us this evening is Brian O'Driscoll. Brian, good evening to you. Good evening. Um, the Twickenham games, is there anything specifically special about them? Um like, you know, the Six Nations is such an amazing tournament. We keep hearing that. But actually, I guess winning at Twickenham, that's kind of the peak, right? Yeah, I think it's right up there. Um, I think, obviously, it's a big deal winning in the Southern Hemisphere. But when you come to Six Nations um, to win over in Twickenham, it's, it's one of the hardest places to go and play. Um, you know, there's not a, a huge amount of Irish teams that, that can say they've gone and won there. Uh, I think what makes it so special is that more often than not, England are one of the best teams in the Six Nations or in the world. And so being able to go over there and put, you know, pitch yourself against one of the best teams and come out on top in their backyard their is support, a big deal. Yeah, uh, their support also takes a lot of uh, flack. But it, I, like when you're at the game and you're watching uh, England as an Irish fan, their support is brilliant if you're English. I mean, obviously the rest of us hate it, but they, are, like, they get behind their team really well. Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, and I suppose it, it all depends on how quickly swing low is sung. You know, if, if, if they're breaking into it after 10 minutes, you know, you're in for a long day. Um, I, obviously, you know, now they've got 80,000 people in Twickenham as well. I'd say the acoustics in the place aren't the best out there, but um, the atmosphere can, can, can be um, you know, not intimidating, but pretty impressive. And I remember Brad Thorne saying he doesn't care, you know, who the, who the atmosphere is for. You always just make it about yourself. So I think that's what Irish teams, when they've had success, they've managed to stem the flow of England, but also get the, the travelling support and the, and the expats over in, in the UK um, to sing for them. So it's a, it's a brilliant fixture um, and, and one that, you know, when you come out on the right result, on the right side of the result, you're really deserving of, of it because you've really had to roll the sleeves up. Were they good losers when you did win over there? Um, sometimes, <laughs> not always. Um, you know, they, they, they weren't happy in 04 when they came back from the World Cup first game um and and we managed to beat them we kind of we spoiled the homecoming so to speak so um yeah i remember i don't think we we shared too many drinks with them that night but i don't know maybe later on when they got a little bit more used to it after a couple more losses uh in 06 and and, and 2010 uh, i think it was it was, the, it was the last one um yeah that you know i think the players probably got to know one another a bit better and that group of um being on lions tours and um, I think you always enjoy a drink with, with those guys after the game. In 2010, you had to go off after a kick in the head from uh, Paul O'Connell. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I just didn't know where it had come from. I presumed, I, I kind of turned to the referee once I got my head, you know, got, got my wits about me uh, and said, you know, I was clearly foul play, but little did I know that it was, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was my own player that was taking me out. Uh, the reason that, that I, was, I, did, I was annoyed was because I'd clearly gotten pushed by Ricky Flutie, so I presumed that I'd been pushed and need at the same time, but he was in cahoots with Paul O'Connell, so um, no, it was, uh, it was a strange one, and I, I was actually feeling awful that day as well. I'd had a bug in the lead-up to the game, and um, it started at a million miles an hour. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to survive this. And then the rain came down. I was never so glad to see rain. We, um, we obviously are talking about victories in the past that the Ireland team have had. But uh, it's been a long time since we've had a team without yourself or Paul O'Connell in it. And so this group of players kind of needs to write their own history a little bit. And there's still that sense that maybe 
they haven't quite fully expressed their own identity or whatever it is, just kind of said, okay, this is a new team now. Yeah, it is. I think you probably have to give the team a little bit of time as well. Like, um, you know, Paul O'Connell was obviously an inspirational character and he's only gone technically two two games. So they're going to have to have a bit of, need a bit of time to understand what it is to uh, survive without the likes of him. Um, he was so important uh, for Ireland for so many years that he, he made everyone in the pack probably play better than I thought you know their capabilities belied. So I thought that was the galvanizing effect he had in being named in a team. And um, I think there, there isn't that at the moment. Rory Best is obviously captain, but I think you know he probably isn't that same character that Paulie was. And and the, the team need to need to buy into his captaincy, need to buy into his leadership, and and hopefully you can have one or one or two other in, uh, inspirations to to really get the performances picked up. Uh, but it will take a little bit of time, I think. You know, as I mentioned, he he's one once in a lifetime sort of gen, um, once in a generation sort of player, and so it, it'll take some, some time to find someone new to to replace that. Yeah, maybe they all need to step up a little bit, like so that it's not just on Beth's shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it can be solely. And obviously, losing Sean uh, O'Brien is not ideal. But I think other people. Um, you know, it's early days for the likes of Stander, but he you know, immediately he becomes a big player because he gives that go forward and he gives you he's a momentum builder. So there's a you know would be an onus on him, um, and then you know particularly at scrum time you know, with Mike Ross coming back into into the mix, he has to you know um, put some solidity back into our scrum. We've really creaked in that regard over the past couple of games, and eventually actually cost us against France. So if we can really shore things up there and 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 lock down some decent first phase possession, or and and at least not concede on on the English put put in, I think you know you you're getting you're getting a footing into the game off that. Yeah, that that whole sense of momentum that we talk about in the media when England are playing at home. You mentioned the swing low coming early on in the game. Is it always just that the the crowd are responding to the efforts on the field of play, or is there any sense that the the English players actually do feed off that too? Um, yeah, I think it's probably the English players do feed off it, and it it's it it does it does come from a, a positive English start. Obviously, the first few minutes of a game, the crowd are are into it, and if they can do anything effective. But if you can if you can um, keep them a little um, quiet for fifteen or twenty minutes. It's very hard for a crowd to get excited about something if the, the opposition hasn't had the ball or if they hasn't haven't had an opportunity to um, give you something to shout about. And so that that was always a big factor over in Twickenham is is making sure that you're still in the game in 20 minutes because plenty of times we've gone before and you you find yourself 15 points down you know with 20 minutes gone it become a very very long day at the office then. So that that's so vitally important even in the in the fixture in the in the in the World Cup warm-ups, you know they were they were behind immediately, and um, they just need to make sure that they're in the game, you know, half time and um, and be able to regroup and then go again in the second half. Well, I was asking that question specifically off the back of the mention of Mike Ross because the scrum is is so important, particularly from that aspect. If England were to get an advantage at scrum time, we've seen them destroy us before. Well, obviously, when Mike Ross had to go off injured, practically all their points and an, an, an annihilation of us came off the scrum in one way or another. So, like that's I presume that's why you start with Mike Ross. It's to make sure that England don't get into this game. Mike Ross is there to scrum. He's you know he, he will he'll ha- he'll have other people make up for the you know for maybe the lack of fitness that he'll have around the park. 
people will have to mind him a little bit in defence. Yeah, he'll hit some rooks, but he is there for the sole purpose of scrummaging and locking it down on the tight head side. Um, the, the knock-on effect of your your, your scrum creaking uh, can can be absolutely uh, devastating to the outcome of, of a game because all momentum and all territory off the back of conceding penalties, kicking down 40, 50, 50 metres down the field, the field for, for position or kicking three-pointers can really, really hurt you. So, yeah, he's vitally important to making sure that we have you know, some form of parity there. It's not just on his shoulders. You know, he's got to work with, with his front rowers in, in Rory and, and, um, and McGrath. Uh, and obviously even the second row, you know, loss of Mike McCarthy. I know he's a renowned, uh, pretty good scrummager. But uh, Dunica Ryan coming in there is going to have to do a big job along with Tevin Toner, make sure they look after uh, their front row. Because England will definitely target that. They'll feel as though they can, they can go after him. I wonder, was Marler picked with a view to being a better scrummager? Um, you probably need to know someone a bit, uh, knows a bit more about scrummaging than I do, but they, they will definitely go after that area and feel that it's an area of weakness for Ireland. What about the, the backs? It's a pretty exciting lineup from an Irish perspective. We've been dying to see what McCluskey could do. Unfortunately, it's because of injury to, to Jared Payne, but the McCluskey-Henshaw centre partnership it's very tall and it's very strong and it's very heavy it is it's huge and it's it's um i suppose we've all been waiting for it. me included people mightn't think that I, i've been a, a big advocate of of mccluskey he's been without a shadow of doubt the best attacking uh center for for ireland this year i think defensively I'm, i haven't seen enough of him or understood you know uh, um as he caught himself in some some difficult positions to be able to get out of them. And I think we're going to see an awful lot of that tomorrow. Interesting, he, he's not against a, a, a Welch powerhouse centre pairing like, like Roberts and, and Davis, where they're going to come more often than not direct at him. He's got you know, George Ford and, um, and he's got Farrell at you know, 10 12 axis, where both of them are good distributors. Of course, Farrell can get over the gain line, but they're more often than not going to try and pick them out and, and put their wingers and their back three uh, into space. So a big, there'll be a big onus on him looking after the first up tackling when Farrell does come direct, but also to be able to push off and allow Robbie Henshaw to move out and, and defend some of their, their speed guys. So it's, it's going to be a big, a big challenge for him, but I think these guys are, are up to it. And listen, he's, he's very deserving of his opportunity. It's just a big cauldron in Twickenham to be thrown into. The difference for Henshaw playing 13 for Ireland, obviously he's played 13 a fair bit for Connacht, although this season he's played a good bit at fullback as well. There's a huge, we've spoken about the defensive role and responsibility before. Is it is it easier for Henshaw now, having played a lot of games at international rugby, at least at 12, so that he's not making his debut really as a, a 13, that he's actually had international rugby behind him before he has to have that extra responsibility? Yeah, I think it, it does help him definitely because he understands the pace of the game. I think that's probably one of the shocks that Stuart McCluskey will will um, will get to the system when you know the first five minutes, the intensity of international rugby and Six Nations rugby, particularly if it's dry, um, is pretty ferocious and it's something that his body will not have been accustomed to before. So it's just about trying to get, gather your breath and keep yourself in the game. I think from Henshaw's point of view, there is a big focus on, on himself and, and McCluskey defending together and working for one another. They've got to um, share the workload as well because it's important for the 10, 12, 13 access to split 
after first phase, making sure that one or other of them are, are on either side of the pitch along with the 10. You can't have 10, 12, 13 together after phase two, three or four. It, it's, a, it's a must. So it's about sharing that workload, identifying, well, he broke last time over to, break the far, to, to get to the far side of the pitch. I've got to do it this time. And he can help out Robbie Henshaw massively by pushing him early, by reading the situations that are unfolding in front of him early. So he pushes and, and communicates with Robbie to get out because he's got his inside shoulder. So those sort of things don't happen just at training. It'll get better as the game goes on the more time they play together. Um, but, you know, you've got to start somewhere, so it starts this Saturday. The other thing is that Rob Carney's at full-back, and there had been a lot of calls for Jared Payne if he was fit to play full-back and see what that was like. But that would have been a very inexperienced 12, 13 and 15 combination, whereas at least you've got Rob Carney behind them, hopefully nursing them through this if they need a little bit of extra help. Yeah, they do. Um, and yeah, listen, I, I'm sure Robert would, would admit that he it's certainly not been his... his um, uh, you know his season from from the standards that he set himself in the past. Uh, but having said that, you have to be very careful with um, with co- new combinations that you do bring in. He's brought one in in the pack in Josh van der Feer, and now you know McCluskey, um, you know, starting in the centre too. But combinations are very important, and communication is huge. I don't know what sort of talker Stuart McCluskey is. You get the impression that he's he's pretty good, albeit he's, he's a young guy. But the more experience you get out playing there, the more chat there tends to be from you and definitely from Robert fullback trying to um, you know talk to his wingers and pushing them forward and using that pendulum um, to, to defend any um, cross field kicks or, or any kicks deep for territory he'll, he'll he, you know he's very experienced at that so he needs to continually talk to all of his backs um, to make sure they know that you know he's their security blanket for them. We talked last week as well about um, the Irish players maybe not always making the support run that you'd expect them or hope them to make. Van der Fleer has that boundless enthusiasm. Is he likely and hopefully going to be doing that? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, he... I don't think he can go out thinking that way immediately. I think he's got lots of other aspects to his game. For, first of all, I think he's... Um, he's got to get to the rook early when we're in possession and, and just look at clearing the first guy. I know they don't have any real... Um, scavengers um, Haskell you know, can be good over the ball but I think he'll be looking to win the shoulder in, in attack get there first and, and clear out and obviously he's pretty good himself so try and slow their ball down and, or turn one or two um, you know, things over he, he, he actually is quite a good ball carrier for a, a small enough guy you know, at international level so it'll be interesting to see how he does get on, how he's able to translate his form in Leinster into, into the international scene because the hits are much bigger and more physical and you tend not to make the same yardage. But he's another one that's had a really impressive season for, for Leinster and, and deserves an opportunity. Tough on Tommy O'Donnell, um, but you know he's, he's one of the guys for the future and um, a big opportunity for him to, to you know, throw down a marker uh, for that jersey. There's been an obsession... Um about Ireland's game plan over the last 18 months, really. And I think that the main thing that we've learned is that Schmidt teams are generally quite pragmatic and they want to play to be able to win the game. How do you expect them to, to play to try and win this game? What do you expect the game plan to be this weekend? I don't think he's, you know, he's certainly not going to change a whole lot. Again, I, you know, I've watched a fair bit of, of Ireland over, watched the, the France game back a couple of times and... I just wonder, on certainly on the power plays where they're planning three or four phases in advance. I know he's had modifications to what we've we've done in the past. Um, I'm just wondering, are teams doing homework and identifying and snuffing them out 
um, before they actually have the opportunity to happen. I don't think they're that far away from breaking clean on, on a few occasions. They managed to do that against Wales, not so much against France, but that was largely down to the conditions. But I think they um, they just have to you know, play their way into the game through those power plays and just be very, very clinical at the ruck. England will look to slow the ball down. He's a big focus on a right barrel and a left barrel when it comes to ruck time, identifying who needs cleaning out and then the third person to secure the ball. I think if that, that'll be a huge focus this week in generating fastball. And we all know that if you can generate fastball, you can have any defence in the world in trouble. All right. Uh, Brian, I'm delighted. So we've got England legend Jeremy Guscott with us. Jeremy, good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon. Are you feeling confident ahead of this game? Um... Yeah, I think if I was in the English camp, I would. Um, More confident than Ireland, let's say. Um, Only because um, I think there'd be a little doubt in the Irish minds because of the last game of the Rugby World Cup, uh, the last two games where Ireland have done well. They've had a really good start, gone in at half-time with the lead, but given that up... um, uh, and I just think because things haven't quite clicked, they're very close to clicking, there's always that element of doubt in your mind until it happens. And um, as much as they'll be wanting to prove that they're still a classy outfit, which they are, they have to do it. And therefore, the pressure mounts and mounts and mounts. And the more mistakes that happen, the more likely they're there to continue until uh, a side finds a a couple of guys in magic form or, or a, a, an element of luck that gets them on the road to, to what they want to achieve. From England's perspective, the, the fixtures against Scotland and Italy are almost the perfect start for Eddie Jones in that the Scotland game was tight and tense and the team clearly gained confidence from getting through that. And then the Italian game, they played really well and, and uh, there was lots of scores and that also adds to that sense of confidence. We haven't yet really seen them, though, put to the pin of their collar by a, a battle-hardened team who really know what they're supposed to be doing, which is what Joe Schmidt's side should be this weekend. So for Jones, too, it's a test. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's, a bit, it's almost saying they haven't been tested. I think Vern uh, Carter and the, and the Scottish would kind of disagree with that. I think it's an interesting matchup because England in their two games have come on strong at the end. Ireland have been very strong at the beginning. So... Both sides would be saying, look, if, if, if for Ireland, they'd be saying, look, if we can continue that form and that intensity for, for another 40, we're going to win a game. If England say, that, let's start with that intensity that we seem to be finishing off games, then we, we will win games more comfortably. It's, um, look, none of these two sides are playing so well that they come as odds-on favourites. Um, Ireland, I think, because of their experience and the guys that they've got in place are winners which is much more than that England side, although it's experienced. They just haven't um, experienced winning games. Even if England are to win this game against Ireland, which is a a big if, uh, they've still got to win a game that counts. And that's where Ireland, I think, have the advantage with, with their players. They will come confident that they've done these guys before. How important is that, Brian, that there are players there in our team who have that sense of, I'm a winner, I can think my way through this game and through the problems that England are going to pose us? I think that is important. Um, I think being able to rely on those guys, in, particularly in pivotal positions, you know, guys like Conor Murray and, and Johnny Sexton become very important on days like that, difficult days when you're up against a, a, a quality outfit. Just 
But just picking up on, on, on a couple of points, I think you take the Scotland game away from it. Yes, it's been a fantastic start from England because tough game against Scotland. But if you know, being realistic, after 52 minutes against Italy, they were still only two points up. And then they got an intercept try, and I think that allowed them to relax and really got them into the game. And yes, they did um, finish really strongly. I think their bench came on and did a great job against Italy. And conversely, I think that's where Ireland may struggle in that I think with the huge injury list, I don't think the effectiveness of the bench is as strong as other years because the personnel are just not there because now the bench players are actually play, are, are starters. And so the, the guys that mightn't actually be in the starting 23 are now finding themselves on the bench. And I just don't think that we're finishing the games brilliantly off the back of that. Um, and it would be a concern because I, I look at the bench again and I don't see that huge impact. It would be, you know, we're starting with, with, with the standard, but if you had Peter Mahoney uh, starting and you bringing Stander off the bench, that sort of guy is, is a, an impact maker. I just don't feel as though we have too many of them. And for that reason, I think the bookies have, have England at six or seven point favourites and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Jerry, what do you make of the New England coach this week? He's been throwing barbs, particularly in the direction of Johnny Sexton yeah. and the Irish management team and the Irish medical team. And he brought Johnny Sexton's parents into it. Where will yeah. this stop? Um, I hope it stops soon. I mean, we had a little bit with Warren Gatland. Uh, of course, who you're all love over there. Yeah, um, it's um, it's a bit unnecessary, but I, th- I think in a in a way it's quite smart that it's deflected the attention and the focus actually on the England side, and, and it hasn't allowed the media to really pinpoint England and say where their weaknesses are. It's all been deflected, and so we're talking about Johnny and his whiplash. Joe Smith is defending them. But the, these guys, the Irish team, are so experienced. I mean, if I was in the Irish camp and I'm listening to that, it's just manna for heaven. Um, you just want to beat them even more uh, without losing your rag or losing control. I, I accept us in the media. We love those kind of quotes. We love those comments. Players, it, it's, it, it doesn't mean a thing. Um, the guys in the camp know exactly what, what, what the position is, where they are, how they're feeling. And there's no way these days that anybody would be risked unless they were... 100% fit. Yeah, Brian, what did you make of them? Because it, it was it was funny that he kind of decided to go back to this topic this week. Um, he obviously felt there was some reason for it, some benefit from uh, really questioning Joe Schmidt and Sexton and the Irish medical staff. That's the thing. The, 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 he's questioning the integrity of, of the medics massively. And it's a very dangerous uh, road to go down. Um, I have to say, I've been, a, I've been a big fan of what Eddie Jones has said thus far up to that point because I think it's, you know, from a media point of view, and I am on that side of the fence these days, um, it's been exciting to listen to what he's, what he's said. He's been pretty ballsy with some of the comments he's come out with about giving, giving Italy a good beating and not afraid to, to kind of bring back that confidence bordering on arrogance. I think that's where England can be at their, at their very best and he wants to bring that back along with the aggression and that's why Hartley's there as, as, as captain. But I, I think he's, he, the, the tipping point has been passed with that. I, I agree with, uh, with Jerry in that. I don't think that means anything to the player. I think Johnny Sexton is not reading that and going, oh, you know, he's concerned for me. But where I do think it affects, it obviously affects Johnny Sexton's parents, but it affects rugby players' parents the world over. And, and, and all throughout Ireland going, God, I wonder, I've already spoken to a few people and think, God, I'm really worried about Johnny. Just see the comments about Eddie Jones. And I don't think that's good for the game because he's obviously questioning 
um, Johnny, even though he's he's fine, because the medics would not put their put their reputations on the line uh, if Johnny wasn't fine. So they have to. Everyone has to put faith into them, uh, and Joe Schmidt is putting faith into them. And I just think it's unnecessary, and it's not something that we should have in our game. Yeah, Jeremy, it's funny because you definitely see the benefit to this England team coming off the World Cup of having a character like Eddie Jones. Like from the rest of the world's perspective, it's actually a little bit worrying that. England now have a coach who is a street fighter who is going to do what it takes to get this team up and mentally prepared. Whereas maybe with Lancaster, you kind of thought, well, that's great. They're going to be humble and they're going to get beaten. Um, But at this point, did the English rugby fraternity start to think, oh, Jesus, what have we done here? Oh, I think they like Eddie in general. He's gone around. He's spoken to all the directors of rugby, got them on board. And I think um, the way he talks outside this questioning of of players um, fitness it's very straightforward he doesn't mess around and he says what comes into his mind sometimes dangerously as we recently found out but I think from a player perspective he's he's very straightforward he tells you what he wants if you don't deliver then um, I think I believe you'll be out and um, he's been very smart in his selection he's kept a lot of Lancaster's experienced guys that have come second four times that will be hungry to go one better and get some silverware. And they're now Eddie Jones is going to get the benefit of that side, having been together for a majority of four seasons. And these youngsters coming in from uh, an England under-20 squad over the f- past four seasons that have been there or thereabouts in winning Rugby World Cup under-20 championships or coming runner-up or coming third. And these guys uh, are really pushing for places. If you look at the... The, the specimen, physical specimen, an athlete that uh, Mauro Otoji is at, at 21 years of age is phenomenal. Um, and it's great to see a, a young athlete, a young rugby player, uh, particularly a forward who plays so smartly. We're going to find out how really how good he is now at the, at the top level at international and actually starting a game. But to my mind, you can spot players sometimes a mile away just by their actions and the way that they play, the decisions they make are generally right. And already we've seen Otoji do that in the Premiership and in his glimpses that we've seen at international level, he, he has that. So really looking forward to, to seeing him go out there and, and the young guys um, like Clifford and uh, particularly um, Daly coming on at the centre. Um, I hope they get their opportunity and I, I hope they're not back too not back too severely and actually put their mark on the game. Of course, so I'll be trying to show how uh, inexperienced they are, but I think these guys are, are quite classy and, and will hold their own. And Brian, England are clearly in the, the middle of that underrated in uh, rugby terms, maybe new coach bump that we see in other sports. It obviously worked for Joe Schmidt. He got the benefit of the experience and it was a fresh voice at a time when the, the squad needed it. This is really a big opportunity for Eddie Jones to get off to an absolute flying start by winning the championship this year. And maybe this is the one game where it hinges for them because if, if they win this, then they can even potentially afford to lose against Wales uh, and still win the championship. But they'll, they'll be giving themselves a massive opportunity. So there's a lot riding from Jones' perspective on this one. Yeah, there is a huge amount uh, riding on it. Um... I I think Wales will be um, will, will still be t- difficult in in um, in Twickenham in a couple of weeks' time, um, but it is it is a dream start. Having said that, I don't know how keen Eddie Jones would be to win the Grand Slam the first time out. You know, I know in in, in the English media that it's 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 been rock bottom, obviously post World Cup, but the expectation is always huge, and winning a Grand Slam 
you know, yes, what comes with that is, is huge praise, but then an increased expectation going forward. And it's still a long time away from the World Cup. So I'd imagine, you know, building slowly. And if he managed to win a championship, he would only be too happy with that to be able to, to add to that over the, next, the course of the next few years. So I don't necessarily think, I don't, I'm not getting into Eddie Jones' head, but I, I, I would imagine... You know, if I was Eddie Jones, I'd be preferable about winning a championship. That means that there's still room for improvement because you've lost a game, um, and then um, you know, with a view to be a- being able to br- blood through some more of those younger players. You know, the likes of, of what Jerry said and Atoji and Clifford. You know, I think they're hugely exciting, and no doubt there's a ream of, of other guys waiting to come through. Um, so it, it's you know, th- things are in, in very good shape for England. I think you still have likes of Manu Tuolagi to come back, Henry Slade to come back. Yeah. So when they start fitting into a well-oiled machine, I think you know, we could see England, the powerhouse, back again in a couple of years. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the news we didn't really want to hear in this part of the world, Jeremy. But uh, <laughs> what's your prediction for this weekend, Jeremy? I, I think a lot hinges on the Irish scrum. I think that the times that England have done well, they really have been destructive in that area and really cast the doubt in the Irish minds. But uh, looking at the statistics, the Irish scrum has gone well, so they can't depend on that. I think our, uh, England have to keep it fairly tight and keep it at an arm wrestle and, and hope that their power w- would overcome uh, would overcome Ireland at, at home and Farrell can knock over the penalty. So I, I got England to win a, a very close game unless the Irish scrum capitulates. Uh, if, the, if that does, then a, a lot more points. Yeah, that's everybody's fear, really, Brian. But uh, hopefully Mike Ross can make it through. Can you see a way for Ireland to squeak this? Yeah, I, I can. Um, because I think we're such a well-drilled team and we just have to stay in the game for as long as possible. The scrum will be pivotal to, to, pivotal to, how, we, to how we do. Um, but I, I think it will be a bit of an arm wrestle. Um, and... You know, people talking about an, an English massacre, massacre. I don't see it happening. I think it will be close. And and again, like I said, the you know the bookies rarely get it wrong. I think England probably you know by a few points because of the quality of their bench and being able to unload some un, un, unleash some really quality players for the last twenty minutes, half an hour. Um, and I just think that Ireland are lacking a little bit in that department. All right, folks. Uh Enjoy the game. I think that's the right thing to say. Jeremy, I hope you enjoyed it a little bit less than we do. But uh, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. Off the ball with betdac.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports 24-7. Every season, every sport, every team.